that he begins to carry together through chapters 5 and 6. And on the back of your sermon outline, you see a number of texts we will consider today. If you don't have a sermon outline, put up your hand, and uh, my friend Bill Wong back there will get you one. So if you don't have uh, an outline, put up your hand, and we want to put one in yours. Anyone else? All right. Our text today is one verse following the great story of the feeding of the 5,000, but it's no throwaway verse. John 6, 15, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So far, the reading of God's Word. The crowds are gathering in New Hampshire and Iowa and all across America, the presidential candidates right now are what? Throwing their hats into the ring. And political action groups have formed and they're holding their rallies. And Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio and, and uh, Rand Paul on the Republican side and Hillary Clinton and Martin O'Malley and, and um, Lincoln Chafee have formed exploratory committees on the Democratic side. And people are getting uh, behind them with excitement and enthusiasm. They are getting behind their people with money and influence and energy and they want to see their favorite person rise to the highest office in the land. After all, as they've been reading their writings and thinking about their platforms, they see their person as a, as a person of great vision. This is the person who can get the job done for us with slogans like Reigniting the promise of America, or everyday Americans need a champion, and I want to be that champion. And the crowds in Iowa and New Hampshire gather together and cheer the person they really believe will usher in a new morning in America. Whew. Well, you know, if you were paying attention to the verse of Scripture that I just read to you, it looks an awful lot like that is what is about to happen to Jesus. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take Him by force to make Him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by Himself. What is going on here? We are told that the crowd is filled with enthusiasm and they want to make him king and they are willing to use force if necessary. And I did not want this verse to just be sort of a tag or a, uh, the end of Martin's wonderful message last week on the feeding of the 5,000. This is a, is a pivotal moment for us to stop and pay attention loaded with insight and instruction for us about the person and the ministry of Jesus Christ. So let's pay attention 
to what's going on here and see if we can get inside the minds of the people and inside the mind of Jesus. And the first point is this, point number one, people want a Messiah who is ready to do their will. Am I right? Now, in some sense, this is a, a proper religious enthusiasm for the people because of the fulfillment of Scripture. And I, I want to be fair to the crowd there that received the bread and the fish and had that good meal, okay? I want to be fair. You know I like to be fair. I want to be fair because the Gospel of John tells us that people at that time were on the lookout for the Messiah. They were expecting after the long period of waiting the one greater than Moses would come. Andrew said, we think we might have found the Messiah. Peter, we might have found the Messiah. So they actually were awakening to the fact that after several hundred years, uh, the prophet is on the scene and they get this right. The last passage said that they concluded this may be the one Moses predicted was to come in the future. This guy, Jesus, He's the real deal. And he has the endorsement of John the Baptist. And his disciples are using words. We hear it whispered in the crowd, Messiah, Messiah. And they conclude, the time is now. And so people in the crowd spring into action the text says, again, look at the text, they were about to come and take him by force and make him king. And maybe there were people like James Carville and Carl Rove, there in the, you know, kingmakers, there in the crowd. Let's make this happen, guys. Let's make Jesus king. And then it gets really messed up. The text says that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. And the word by, taken by force in verse 15 is really a word of violence. And it reveals something very ugly about the human heart. Here's what it means. It means that they were willing to use the sword in order to bring down this puppet, King Herod. And with the kind of charisma that Jesus displays in front of the crowd, and with the kind of power that Jesus exhibits in being able to multiply food, this man is unstoppable, isn't he? After all, if you listen to Napoleon, he says, an army marches on its stomach. Logistics, it's so important. And with a guy who can take a few loaves and fishes and multiply it, he can feed his army, and we can march through to Jerusalem and cross the sea to Rome, and Jesus will lead us. And let me just say, these people in this crowd established a kind of pattern that has been very unhealthy for the church through the centuries. If you know your church history, you know that back in the fourth century, the emperor Constantine was converted, right? And he made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. What a great moment, wasn't it? And it was a great moment 
because Christians at last were free to worship according to their conscience and they could worship uh, the living and true God without the fear of persecution and death. It was a great moment, but it was also a very unhealthy moment for the church. And many, many, many so-called Christians took that moment and they used the power merging the church and the state to take and render violence against pagans and they would steal their property. They would destroy the pagan temples, destroying other people's property and threaten, if you know church history, in Russia the king of the Rus was converted and then using the sword forcing thousands to be baptized. What do you think? Do you think Jesus wants us to try and force people at the point of a gun or using the power of the civil state to force people to become Christians? What do you think? Of course not. How do people become Christians? People become Christians as they are born again by the Spirit of God, as the Word of God is preached. In the power of the Holy Spirit, it takes the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and He pierces their soul, and they bow the knee. Look, Jesus could have allowed these people to come and make him king, and he could have marched an army across the sea and conquered Rome, make no mistake, but then Christianity would be no better than the Muslim religion is today, that uses the sword and goes with fear and conquering power to spread their religion and to threaten people to come to their Allah. Oh, my friends, I hope you agree. One of the great, great miracles of Christianity is that these disciples of Jesus in that first century turned the world upside down. How? By the preaching of the Word. By the display of Spirit-filled love and humility. Calling people to join their band in the face of persecution. The religious establishment despised them. The Roman emperors wanted to exterminate them. And through the centuries, the scholars and philosophers have wanted to wipe the image of Jesus Christ from the memory of mankind. And what has happened around the world? The kingdom of God has grown and flourished and thousands upon thousands and millions upon millions have been born again and made alive to Jesus Christ by the ministry of the word and the display of his love and the call of his kingdom. They were about to come and take him by force and make him king. And there's something deeper going on in that verse at a deeper level, you can explain this moment, listen carefully, you can explain this moment because the sinful human heart simply wants to use Jesus. Isn't that true? At a very basic level, the people want Jesus 
to give them stuff. We'll see that in a few more weeks as as the sixth chapter unpacks. I don't want to go into all of that right now. But Jesus has become to them like a big vending machine. Jesus has become to them like a free grocery store. Jesus has become to them like a a, a free medical clinic or, or a hedge fund with insider knowledge. James Boyce, in his comments here, he gets it right when he says, these people were grateful for their meal, but their gratitude was a lively sense of favors still to come. That's what it was. Yeah, we'll get behind this guy, but but here's what we're looking for. We just believe he's going to do all these great favors for us, and we're very enthusiastic about him because of the favors still to come. Now, don't get me wrong here, okay? There is nothing wrong with enjoying the many blessings and even advantages that the Lord in His sovereign, common grace gives to us. And we are blessed. And it would actually be wrong to despise them without gratitude in our hearts. We are so physically blessed by His common grace to us. But as James Boyce says, If you are pursuing these things rather than pursuing God, if you are merely advancing your own plan for your own life and using Him for that end, then you are merely doing what the mob who were fed by Jesus did. You are using Him rather than allowing Him to use you and mold you into the person He wants you to be. And I think Boyce is right. And that's very convicting to me. How often is it, Jesus, I invite you to do my will? Right? So much of my religion is our butler who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. As though Jesus is your butler and you are in your barco lounger with your, your remote control and you have your walkie-talkie to say, I'd like a little more service, please. That's the human heart. That's, the human, that's my heart. That's your heart. It's very convicting. Rather than we lay ourselves before Him so that He will use us. And they want to use force to make it happen. Look at the text. It then says, and Jesus withdraws. He sends his disciples away, and he himself heads for the hills to be alone. And maybe there's somebody here today, and you're saying, this is very confusing. After all, he is a prophet. What do prophets want? Prophets want a platform. Prophets prophets want a crowd. (laughs) You know? Governor Christie and Senator Clinton, wouldn't they be thrilled to have this kind of opportunity before them in Iowa or New Hampshire? They would relish it. Jesus walks away. Why? Point number two, Jesus will not be the kind of Messiah they want. And he knows that the way to the crown is first through the cross. 
Think about this. When Jesus pulls away from this opportunity of authority and glory, what comes to your mind? What do you remember? Do you remember Jesus in the wilderness? The temptation of Christ? What did Satan say? Do you remember? And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory for it's been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be yours. Jesus was given that opportunity by Satan. And this is another temptation. It's another moment, you see. Jesus, the Bible tells us Jesus knows what's in the heart of men. Jesus knows what is in your heart. He knows what motivates you. And he knows where Satan himself is whispering in this very moment. Jesus, you are the Christ. Jesus, you are the King. Look, look at the skyline of Manhattan as you drive down the LIE across Queens. And there it is, it rises before you. All that wealth and power and glory will be yours. What do most people do when they're given the opportunity of fantastic wealth and great success and enormous influence? What do most people do? Thank you, I'll take it. They jump on it. But what does Jesus do? He denied the temptation. Actually, here he flees temptation. And the Bible teaches us to flee temptation. And Jesus certainly did it with the word of God answering it. And he departs. And Jesus shows that he is actually humble and meek. Right? I am meek and lowly of heart. And so is Jesus Christ to the, to the fury, I'm sure. I'm sure he made them so mad. But Jesus makes people mad. But he didn't just want to get away from other people, the temptation of other people's selfish ambition. At a deeper level, in a few weeks, we're going to study John 6, 38, where Jesus says, for I came down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. This staggering verse that is so different from the heart of sinful men. I want God to do my will, but Jesus says, I came to do God's will. And what is God's will? It is that Jesus, who will get the crown, shall not have the crown without first having the cross. Pastor Martin sent me this email this week with a, a tremendous quote, quote from Edmund Clowney that was in Don Carson's commentary. It says this, and it's in the reflection in your bulletin. Listen to this. Jesus himself knew that the way his kingdom would triumph would not be by beating the enemy in siege warfare, but by dying and rising from the dead. Here's the quote from Clowney. He would go to Jerusalem not to wield the spear and bring judgment, but to receive the spear and experience judgment in our place in your place. 
Are you with me? Do you understand? It's not the armies with the point of a spear that accomplish Jesus' kingship. He comes and he receives the spear and bears the judgment in our place because he is full of love and grace. Have you come to this place in your own life where you have confessed your need of the dying king? Have you come to this place in your life where you understand that he was crowned because he first went to the cross for you? Have you come to that place yet in your life where you have become born again a Christian who's come to see his own need, her own need of Jesus Christ alone to bring you through the judgment day of God and he bears the sword of judgment in your place. I hope that you have. Today is the day for you to say, I stand in forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. And I also think that Jesus goes away from all these kingmakers because he knows his kingdom will come, but how will it come? Zerubbabel was told, not by might, not by power, but how will his kingdom come? But by my spirit, says the Lord. All the earthly might, all the earthly power is nothing compared to the Holy Spirit of God. So Jesus doesn't take up wep weapons. It's the Holy Spirit. And John saw the Spirit descend on Jesus at his baptism. Remember, we've been talking about this. Christ is the anointed one, and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus knows that Holy Spirit, and he knows its power. And he knows that on Pentecost, he's going to pour out a mighty wind upon the church and energize the whole church with His Holy Spirit so that the gospel will stand against persecution, stand against government oppression. It will stand against intellectual assault. The gospel will go with great power because the Holy Spirit fills the church of Jesus Christ and the kingdom comes and His will is done. And so He withdraws. He won't be the kind of Messiah they want. And that leads to point number three, to explain where this one verse fits in the New Testament. We say, yes, he is a king, but his kingdom, the one that we are a part of, is a spiritual kingdom. And to understand what's going on in this passage, you need to know what the New Testament teaches about his kingship and his kingdom. Because... In the scripture that we read earlier in this service, we are told by Jesus that his kingdom is not of this world, right? That's what he told Pontius Pilate. Did you hear it in John 18? Pilate says, are you king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, <laughs> my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. Now he says it again. But my kingdom is not from the world. What do we learn here? We learn that his kingdom comes from the outside. His kingdom intrudes. It intrudes into this broken and fallen world. Please understand this about the kingdom of Jesus Christ. 
It is not manufactured by anyone in this world. It comes in an intrusion into this world. And secondly, that His kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. His citizens are spiritual citizens. Back in chapter 3, when Jesus meets with Nicodemus and he has this great conversation with him, in verse 5 he says, listen, I tell you the truth, unless a man is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Okay? The citizens are spiritual citizens, born again of the Spirit of God and entering the kingdom of God. And how does it advance? Like I just said, it moves forward by spiritual power. (laughs) Jesus tells Pontius Pilate, my servants are not fighting. They don't use the sword. The coercive power of the state is not used to advance the kingdom of God. Pilate, my kingdom is no threat to you, but your kingdom is puny. My kingdom is the kingdom of heaven intruding not just to this little geographical piece of dirt, but around the world. Where do you see the kingdom of Christ? The Bible teaches that the kingdom of God has been made a visible reality, not in the halls of Congress, not from the editorial pages of the New York Times, Not in the great halls of learning in the great universities of this world. Not in the productions of Hollywood. Where is the kingdom of God seen? In the church. The church. When Peter confessed that Jesus is the Christ, and Jesus says, you have just had a revelation from God Almighty. Then Jesus says, upon the confession of Peter, I will build my church, and the gates of hell, right, will not prevail against it. The Greek word for church is ekklesia. It means called out from, the called out ones. Isn't that interesting? This may be new to you. The word church is referring to people who are called out of the world to be His chosen people, His possession. And the visible expression of those people born of the Spirit of God called citizens in the kingdom of God are seen in the church. And for some of you, just like, that may sound like, I don't know, but fingernails on a chalkboard because you see in this post-modern, post-Christian world, the church is passe. The church, that's just an an institution of grandmothers and days gone by, the church. They have some nice buildings. Jesus said, I will build my church, this separate community of humanity that are in the world, they live in the world, but they are not anymore of the world. And every Christian needs to understand that God calls His kingdom people to be part of the church community. 
He really does. The church matters to Jesus because these are the citizens of his kingdom, baptized into his family, set apart by baptism into his family. The church. But, but, but John, don't you? It's so easy. I can just listen to Charles Stanley on TV and I can just read a book from the Christian bookstore and I can just um, listen to Caleb all day and, or family radio and get some pretty music all day. What do I need the church for? The answer is that the kingdom of God is made manifest in the church. It is what Jesus builds, a community of love, a community of life together. Jesus said, oh, you will be violent people, but it will be the violence of love, the violence of mercy, the violence of hope, the violence of the Word of God that penetrates and pierces and convicts the hearts of sinners and gives hope and salvation to the lost. I will build my church. You know, the Bible teaches us that this world is not our home. Did you know that? Where's your citizenship? Paul says, I think it's Philippians 3.20, he says, our citizenship is in heaven. I'm a patriot. I love America. I'm very happy to be born in America. And I think it's the greatest social experiment the world has ever attempted. I'm a patriot. Don't burn my flag. But I'll tell you something. My love for America is nothing compared to my love for the church. The church around the world. And my family, the citizens that I know of my church family in Benin, in Korea, in Russia, in China, in Honduras. This is my citizenship, and this is your citizenship too. This world is not our home. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12, on the back of your sermon outline. Church, he's writing to the church, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Here it comes. Once... You were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And then this phrase that is often overlooked in reading of 1 Peter. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. He gives two labels to the church. Sojourners and exiles that he calls to holiness. What is a sojourner? A sojourner is somebody who's wandering in the wilderness. And the Jewish mind would go back to the wilderness wandering of Moses and the exiles for those 40 years. They had yet to attain the promised land. And the Christian whose citizenship is in heaven is just like those sojourners. This world is not our home. Sure, we are in exile, right? And Daniel was in exile and Daniel prayed for the peace of of Babylon or whatever city he was in, and Daniel, uh, you know, the, Jeremiah said, pray for the peace of this, work for the peace of the city you live in. Great, work for the best of, of Long Island and New York. That's fine, but never confuse New York with your home. Where is your home? Where is your citizenship? 
It is in heaven. And you are a sojourner just passing through. You are an exile still longing for your homeland. The high valleys and greener greens and great pastures of heaven. That is the home to which he has gone to prepare a place for you. Church, he calls you a holy nation. Where is the location of that nation? It's not on some piece of plot plot of ground in the Middle East or anywhere. Where is the capital of our holy nation? Heaven. Heaven. The throne where the king sits. We are told in Revelation 5 that Christ comes following his ascension. Christ comes and he takes the seal and he sits on the throne and he opens the seals and then the people of heaven And angels and saints burst into a song. They sing. What do they sing? They sing what we sing every Lord's Day here on Sunday morning. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood, here it comes, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made them to be a, what's the very next word? Kingdom and priests to serve our God. Isn't this glorious? Citizens we are of the kingdom of heaven. What do we do with this? We just finished our new members orientation class. It was so much fun. It's just so wonderful to talk with new members of our church about the beauties of of what's going on here in this outpost of heaven. And they come to understand that we celebrate, we communicate, we cultivate the glory and love of Jesus Christ here on Long Island. What do we do as citizens? We are a worshiping people We are a people who love not only to gather on Sunday mornings and unite our voices in praise and in prayer and in the hearing of the Word, but we are a people who worship Him every morning in our lives and every evening in our families. We are a worshiping people. We are a kingdom people on a mission to spread the news, to tell the world, come, come and hear Jesus Christ is the good King of all the earth come to Jesus. We are a missional church in words and in deeds. Again, the thing we love about Compassion International, it's all about the church there in those outposts in the world, and we assist those little children in those churches. A mission to tell the world we communicate and we cultivate the glory and love of God among ourselves. We are disciples We disciple each other. And if somebody goes running off the path into their own foolishness and sin, we say, hey, come on back. Come on back. Come on back. We love you. Come to sanity again. And we cultivate people. And we say, oh, you're new to the things of Jesus Christ. Come grow with us. Let's learn together how to walk with Jesus And as citizens of the kingdom, we follow the king who first went to the cross. And Jesus said something disturbing. He said, if anyone would follow me, he must take up what? 
his cross and follow me. And the way to our crown is through our willingness to suffer, not to use Jesus for our ends, but to say, Jesus, I'm yours. Take my life and let it be consecrated. How does the hymn go? Consecrated, Lord, to thee. Now, when I take up my cross, I don't pay for anyone else's sins. That, 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 that's not it. There's only one atoning sacrifice. That was Jesus. But he says, my disciples lay down their lives. Are you at that place in your life today where you're ready to do that? Have you heard his call, the call of the kingdom to come and, and, and follow Jesus? Jesus walked away from the mob because he knew their hearts. He knew what was in their hearts. He trusted no man. He knew what was in their hearts. And he went to the cross. And then he rose and received the crown as king of kings. You know, I'm going to watch this political campaign as it unfolds over the next 15 months. We get into the silly season in America. And I, I have some interest in whose policies are going to be initiated in this land of ours that I love. But I know that nations rise and fall. And what I really want to hear about is the church in China, the church in Africa, the church in South America, the church out in the Hamptons that we've been helping to plant, and the church down in Forest Hills, Queens that we've been helping to plant, and the church here in Oyster Bay that is summoning you and your friends and your family to come and hear of Jesus and to walk with Jesus. That's what I want to hear about, and I know that's what you want to hear about too because that is God's love. That is the love of Jesus Christ. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We're going to sing a song now that Pastor Martin taught us a year or so ago. The words go like this. The words go, hear the call of the kingdom. Lift your eyes to the king. Let his song rise within you as a fragrant offering of how God, rich in mercy, came in Christ to redeem all who trust in his unfailing grace. King of heaven, we will answer the call. We will follow bringing hope to the world, filled with passion, filled with power to proclaim salvation in Jesus' name. Let's pray.